You are listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast, a podcast from the Kavira Coalition about the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of agrarians in the United States. Each episode will explore what it means to work in regenerative agriculture, how people came to choose this as their livelihood, and why it's important to them and the future. We hope to build a foundation for a strong community of future agrarians and land stewards with a regenerative approach to community, relationships, and the land. to Regeneration Rising. I'm Leah Potterweight. I manage education and outreach at the Kavira Coalition. And for this episode, we're doing something special. We're actually interviewing interns at the Kavira Coalition. Some of our most amazing and interesting work is conducted by interns at Kavira. And we wanted to uplift both the work they're doing at Kavira and all the cool work they're doing in their own lives. So please enjoy these interviews with Levi and Louise. Hi, everyone. Today I'm talking with Levi Shahey, a tribal member of the Pueblo of Zia, Kavira intern, alum of the Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute, or SIPI, and a founding board member of the Pueblo Development Commission. I'm going to pass it over to you, Levi, so you can introduce yourself a little bit more. Hello, my name is Levi Shahey. I am from the Pueblo of Zia. I attend the Southwestern Indian Polytechnic Institute. I am in the program Natural Resources to get my associate's degree. I farm and ranch in my Pueblo of Zia. I'm a frequent rancher and farmer. I began farming way before I knew about agriculture. As young as I was, I managed hoeing the field and irrigating. The ranching part of my life came very early and was more in tune with it since we'd always round up, brand, look for cattle. There was just a handful of tasks that needed to be done. Not everyone who grows up farming and ranching keeps doing it, you know, with all those tasks and the hard work, but you're still doing it. What is it about? farming and ranching that you love? Why do you keep doing it? Yeah, I love farming and ranching. It brings different challenges along the way, whether it be trying to rope cattle, chasing cattle, or managing, managing plants. I'd say as a rancher, the job is never done, but as a farmer, it's more relaxing and takes a lot of patience. I think that's what I love about both reasons our farm is for sustenance for my family and also for cultural purposes. Thanks for sharing that. It's really cool that it connects you to your family and to your culture. Um, do you want to say any more about that, how it connects you to cultural purposes? Yeah, as a traditional farmer, producing food on the land has always been a part of the Zia Pueblo. Food from the crops is always used for cultural purposes and is also used to provide for our families. There's a lot of different things we use food for, especially corn. We grind it and use that as our, our food for the spirits which is um, cornmeal. We pray to either the sun, wherever spirit is out there. That's what we use corn for. Chili is just taste, I guess. <laughs> the taste is what we go for for chili. Everybody has chili and zia. There's always different meals that go with chili. 
especially bone stew, deer, deer stew with chili. And there's push around chili with deer meat. That's food from different pueblos also. It's just not only Zia, but other pueblos do the same thing as what we do and the same foods. It seems like those are some really important foundational pieces of your work that would keep you really close and connected to agriculture, you know, the community and spiritual yeah. practice, as well as the great flavor of chilies, which really <laughs> yeah. is great. So, <laughs> so you were are an alum of Sippy, and when you were there, you did some compost research. Can you talk to us about your compost research at the farm and the purpose of it? I'm in the natural resources program at Sippy. The program and classes are great. I like that they do more hands-on than rather sitting in class and listening. I find it more helpful helpful for Native students to learn that way. The program I'm in has been helpful. I have learned different objectives in each class I take, and I apply to my farming and ranching needs. My study that I'm doing on my farmland is applying compost to my agricultural farm, which I am planting chili and corn on, to see if it will help my soil. I've used humate, topsoil, mulch, and my control to determine the outcome of each. Throughout my time irrigating the field, I have seen growth fluctuate with each compost, but I find that humid has really been beneficial for my soil's health and plant growth. That's great that you were able to actually do research to figure that out or to confirm your own suspicions there. And how did you actually measure those changes in soil and plant health? I measured it by how well each one's growth and how the time span of each germinated. I found that the topsoil, which was applied to the corn, was starting growing before the control. The humate for the chili and the control both started growing at the same time. They also did uh, some tests, which was um, infiltration rate. I spent time using a metal tube, rubber sledge, and a 2 by 4 to find how fast the water soaks into my soil. I did it for the control and compost. The time for the control took 18 minutes and 55 seconds, which is pretty a long time. Uh, the compost took 18 minutes and 7 seconds. I repeated the process for the control. I waited until 11 minutes and the water was retained. I then did it for the compost and it retained the water for after 10 minutes. And I also tested the aggregate stability from both my control and compost. I did six clouds of each compost and control. For the aggregate stability, I used a plastic jar, small metal chicken wire, and some water. I dipped each cloud in to see how long the cloud breaks down. The first five clouds for the compost took 30 seconds to break down. The fastest was 21 seconds. The control clouds took longer with each averaging one minute and the highest being two minutes. Thanks for sharing your results. And I'm curious what surprised you. I know I'm I'm surprised by some of the results. You know, I might have thought the infiltration rate would be slower for the compost or aggregation might be more for the compost. What surprised you and how do you explain those surprises? Yeah, what surprised me was that for the infiltration rate, my soil was pretty compacted. I thought that the compost would react differently than how it did. I kind of thought it was going to soak quicker than, than how long I waited. <laughs> but it was worth 
worth my while to see how the water uh, soaks in, especially for my plants and to see how, how long it uh, takes for it to reach the roots. So that's what really surprised me. I see. So, yeah, you're working with compacted soils. So where I am, I have a lot of sand. And so without compost, I would guess that my soil would, the water would infiltrate quicker on the sand. But you're working with a different issue. You're working with compaction. So that might also explain the the aggregate, why the aggregates took longer to break up too. And so, yeah, when you were doing this research, did you encounter challenges? You know, research always has complexities and things that never go the way we maybe wanted them to or foresee. What were some challenges in your research? Yeah, the challenge I had with it was uh, maintenance, which was tillering and hoeing, but it all helped in the end. Other challenges would be, I guess, in-person guidance, but due to the circumstances, it couldn't be, couldn't be done, but... I think those were my only challenges that I had with uh, with my soil or with my project. And in spite of the challenges, you persisted. And I imagine that's because you liked the research or knew it was important. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, this is a show for young or beginning agrarians. Um, what would you say to them about research like this? Why is it important um, for for folks to engage in this kind of research? on their farms and ranches? Depending on the type of soils one is planning on, there could be some obstacles with their soil, whether it be nutrients or compaction or drainage or other challenges to help uh, maintain the growth of plant of your plants. Other could be the way water runs off or which is just part of land management. I would say that it's a learning process. It takes time. And patience, whether it be for farming or ranching, whether you want the, the abundance of cattle or abundance of plants or more chili, or <laughs> it, all, it all takes patience and time. How would you suggest to beginning agrarians or young agrarians that they conduct their own research where they are? Any tips or tricks for them beyond patience? Advice I would give. Just keep doing it. Uh, I stuck with it my whole life. Ever since I was young, I was practically born into it. So I didn't have like a real say-so if I really wanted to do this. Every time I would go to the ranch or to go plant or farm, I, I really enjoyed it. I guess I was more of an outdoorsy kid when I was growing up. I just really loved uh, being outside, looking at plants and rocks. Also... We have horses, so riding was always fun to me. Rounding up, having cattle is just like having a dog. You just have to watch them, feed them, even with the plants. You got to always feed them and maintenance. That's how I stuck with um, farming and ranching. It sounds like you've really come to enjoy the rhythm of it and the responsibilities that it carries, which I think is, for some people, part of what intimidates them about farming and ranching. But it seems to be part of what you love about it is the care, consistent daily care that you give to the plants and to the animals. I'm curious, what what are your next steps with farming and ranching? How do you see it fitting in to your life 
into the future? I'm trying to to retain all of my knowledge that I've that I've gathered from school, from the internship that I am with Cubera. Uh, I find that this has really helped me with my land stewardship. So I'm trying to incorporate that into my farming and ranching. Thanks, Levi, for being an awesome intern with Kabira. And thanks for joining us on Regeneration Rising today. It was great to have you here. Yes, thank you. Next up is Luis Rodriguez, another intern with the Kavira Coalition. Originally from Costa Rica, Luis has long been surrounded by farmers utilizing traditional and non-traditional methods and has a passion for agriculture and sustainability. Welcome to the show, Luis. Can you introduce yourself a little bit more? Hello, Leah. Thank you so much. Well, basically, you introduced myself uh, well. I am Costa Rican. I have been surrounded by farmers my entire life. I did go to school uh, just for a semester of agronomy studies. There I learned biology, chemistry, math related towards agriculture. But then I moved to New Mexico, and then that's when I started architecture school. And I am looking forward to link agriculture with architecture and the sustainable aspect where it can benefit economically, socially, and environmentally our environments, wherever we are. And through the Quivero Collision, I've learned so far a lot of things, and I hope to put them in practice whenever I'm in the architectural field in the future. So... Yeah, that's quite a transition, Costa Rica to New Mexico. Um, what are some things about sustainable agriculture you've noticed that are different here than when you were working in that field in Costa Rica? Costa Rica, it was really studying. So I was in the academic realm instead of being in the in the landscape, uh, attending it or seeing how I, we can aid ranchers or farmers. Here's where it's been more hands-on. Um, like I said, it's it was more about learning in college in Costa Rica over here, actually going to the farm and ranches, learning about the landscape, learning about the needs of the farmers and ranchers and see how we can better the soils or the ways they live in their environment, for example. Um, but it was really... It was really different to notice at least the landscape in that aspect where you go north and it's similar to Costa Rica, but in the Central Valley, it's just how everything changes geographically in that sense. Moving here to New Mexico, I was pretty blown away by the changes and all the um, different ecosystems going up and down mountains, how much it changes. So that's, that's cool that there's a parallel experience in Costa Rica. It's interesting that you walk this line between architecture and sustainable agriculture. I don't feel like I've um, known a lot of folks in that realm or walking that particular line. Can you tell us about your experiences you've had in your life that have led you to this particular interest and passion? In Costa Rica, um, what I learned was that people really rely on the land and that they still hold their roots and ties towards the land. 
similar to here, um, you need the farmers and the ranchers to basically eat. Essential aspect to architecture, agriculture to create the sustainable field for everyone. So through architecture, you learn a lot about laying out things, designing, and taking into consideration needs of people or the land. Basically, what I want to do is link agriculture with architecture in a way that everybody's interested to go back to the land because my supervisor, Eva, she mentioned that the average farmer or rancher ages between 60 or 80 years. So that's very concerning since the youth is not connected to the land and basically our farmers are are leaving us. So we need to eat somehow. And I think through architecture, we can design a path to make people from urban er areas be more interested in the rural areas and how life is developed organically in that sense. You talk about architecture. Are you thinking about not just homes and the architecture of the home, but the architecture of the landscape um, and, and how different homes interact with each other? Can you talk more about what what goes inside the architecture that you think about? Architecture, like like I said before, it's more about designing and laying out, for example, ideas to to the reality that we live in. So I'd say we first start off, um, for example, with simple little things like erosion control. How can we eradicate erosion when the water comes down through the land? Well, there's been several workshops um, done through the Peru collision where they teach other farmers and ranchers how to avoid the land to be washed off by the water that goes through it. Those are simple, I think, architectural techniques that are very natural. They use the elements that there are in, in the farm or the ranch, and it eradicates a problem that's been occurring. When it comes to the landscape, how it can be modified for the commodities that the that the activities of the farmer or the rancher needs. Also, architecture can play a role in that by defining how this grid is going to be composed or how you want everything structured to have your animals, have your crops, etc. When it comes to the infrastructural aspect of architecture and the land, I think that we really need to take into consideration how the land is speaking to us to understand how we build on it. So it's really important to understand the topography, how erosion occurs through water, wind, elements that are very, very natural, embedded to the architecture to speak the same language of sustainable sustainability eventually. It's sustainable because it bears with the land, it protects the environment. It gives um, the rancher or the farmer a place to sleep. And also it somewhat, it gives, you know, the economic opportunity to develop and create profit or just aid itself through through the farmer or agrarian activities. That's really cool. That expands my understanding of architecture. It um, It feels like it, the way that you're framing it, it connects to so many other 
fields and practices, you know, landscape design, landscape restoration, um, ecological restoration. And it makes a lot of sense. Going back to your experiences in history with sustainable agriculture, can you tell us about an experience that shaped your current understanding of sustainable agriculture and why it's so necessary? Sustainable uh, agriculture, I am really unaware of it as of right now. I don't have a clear definition of what it could be or what it is, but I do know for sure that sustainability has been a oxymoronic term that people often misunderstand. For example, they just think that uh, recycling is enough or taking public transportation or methods that, that people encourage you to do, but that are not essential to sustainable I say that because it takes three factors, which I've mentioned before, social, equitable, and economic benefits for for the people as a whole. So in agriculture, what I picture and what I've learned so far is that in the farms or ranches, we need to benefit a society. We need to benefit the community. With this, I've learned through Quibera that we can have the community, we can have the youth actually working in agriculture to understand how the land works, how it gives us food, and how we can actually benefit if it's worked as a community. Because I think like more hands on agriculture will provide, of course, more food or more knowledge and I think that is the essence of sustainable agriculture, where people are devoted to the land and they understand it in order to benefit the rest as a whole. I love that you're bringing it there, sustainable agriculture to community. I think that that gets lost sometimes in sort of societal um, stereotypical expectations of what farming is being individualistic, you know, often being depicted as just, you know, one or two people on the land. Really, I'm, I'm just in total agreement that it takes lots of people and a diversity of people working together. And that collaboration and all those minds and hearts coming together is actually more sustainable than just people working by themselves, working so hard, you know, that they're potentially challenging their own health. I love that. Does this all connect to your goals? Like, what is your vision? You talked about people coming together to work for a better world and use their design skills to, to build a better world together. What is your vision for the world? The vision of the connection between agriculture and architecture is that we need to bring uh, more people to work the land or be more interested in the land. Like I mentioned before, the average farmer is old. They need help. Uh, these people, through Quivera, I've learned that the farmer, the rancher, and the ecologist or the scientist or even the designer have been introduced to the agricultural world and there, yes, there might be conflicts, there might be heads bumping, but 
at the end of the day, I think it's a team effort to realize that we need to go back to the land. Since I was in Costa Rica, I knew that we had to go back to the land somehow. And going back to the land does mean that you need thousands of, of available space for you to have cattle or grow crops to the extent that you are trying to capitalize heavily or industrialize in a way. Agriculture can start in your backyard. Being in the urban area or in the rural setting, agriculture can start anywhere. And I think agriculture, if we think about it in the concept of abstraction for, per se, agriculture is growth. So agriculture basically allows you to grow in many different ways, knowledge in your crops, in in your person, in how a community is developed. I think that agriculture and architecture can be linked in order to achieve that. Many vision it as a utopian idea, but achieve that perfect sustainability to go back to the land meet the needs through architecture and through design because after architecture i feel like that's also what it does that it builds the design environment that it designs for people to benefit off of architecture so it's essential to bring back that people and make sure that everyone that everyone is interested in how things work in in the organic realm but when it comes to architecture and how I link it to agriculture, is still very vague, but it's still a, it's still like a theory that I need to define more into how to bring that people back to the rural areas. Because everybody is living in the city and everybody has easy access to everything through money and everything, but there's also a value in the work and the craftsmanship that 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 rural areas really provide because you're in nature and really that's it. You don't have any other distraction, but just to see how the land works. I'd say like the main idea is to bring people back to the land, to motivate people and to encourage them. I wonder in so doing, you know, I, I see obstacles and challenges out there, many of which are systemic that make it you know, hard. A lot of people are out there trying to survive, trying to get by, trying to scrape by multiple jobs. It's and for some people, it's really hard to access outdoor spaces, and often in a really un, imbalanced way. You know, who gets hit by that? And I am curious how how would you like to see systems and structures change so that more people have access to? the land and to outdoor spaces. There's a project that I've been working on through Covira that, that, that I research what are the tools and equipment available for farmers and ranchers. And it makes me think that still farmers and ranchers still have needs to meet when it comes to how am I going to work the land, how I'm going to feed myself, how I'm going to probably make profit. So all those things come together when, for example, we have in the agricultural side, we have the farm and the rancher that needs to be protected also as the land. And then in the other hand, we have the urban setting where people really don't have an idea. I think that how challenging it is for the farmer and the rancher to be able to provide the food that we eat. 
And when it comes to the exploitation of goods, for example, nobody wants to eat pesticides, which has been a very big deal. Everybody wants to eat organic now, but those foods are simply not affordable for everyone in, in the herbal, urban setting. What I'd say is that we need to meet the in-between those two worlds and start creating infrastructures that motivate people to actually start working the land. But again, where it's balanced, where it's an ecological system that is being created and cannot be disturbed because we already know how it is. If we set aside the left or right or whatever it is, and we just think about like how we can benefit through the land as a community, I think that's where it starts. Because architecture, I believe that it's not the physical as a whole, but it's also as a philosophical or a theoretical way of thinking how we can change things as well. When it comes to the infrastructure, I mean, it's hard to go to these farms and ranches sometimes. Not everybody has four by fours or anything, but again, it's a sense of community. What Quivera does right now is that they take people that live in the city and send them off to to journey, you know, the sites of New Mexico, which it's beautiful. You meet people, you meet different sceneries, and it's just vast, diverse. And I think that's where it really starts by designing internally through people without seeing the structure as much. Being on the land, connecting with the land is something that is so beneficial to so many people and more projects that help connect people to the land is huge. So thank you for, for bringing that up and connecting it to your Kavira work. Very cool. How will you continue to infuse sustainable agriculture into your, into your life and into your career? Like, role does it play in your life and will it play going forward? Sustainable agriculture in my life, I really look forward to, for example, just start, like I said, at home. You can start with a compost. Compost, basically anybody can build a, a compost box, have dirt that's enriching itself with the organic components that you put into it and then that's a start right there like i said it just starts in your backyard uh, in the future when for example now in school i design projects that need at least a garden space there is this hotel project that we're designing and when i am doing the massing or the structuring of the hotel I really take into consideration, oh, okay, where is gonna where are gonna be my garden spaces? Where are gonna be what's gonna be the landscape of this? What's gonna define it? Are gonna be my green areas? What is it gonna work for? How is it gonna benefit the person that is gonna be in the hotel? Just for a for a school project, but in reality, if that school project could well become a reality, benefit whoever goes there and who would benefit the workers as well because they're working in a way in the land but they're in, in an urban setting i learned as well that here in albuquerque and next to the rio grande you can get a quarter of an acre for a 150 fee which is yearly and that already starts changing 
scenery of, of what the urban setting could be. It's also something that I take into consideration for the future is how we develop landscape, I mean, green landscape in our urban setting, where it's not as much as concrete, where it's creating the heat island effect, where there's water that just runs down the street and creates floods and there's no sense in that, like how we can bring back the elements of the rural areas into the urban areas. So that is really also a key part of sustainable agriculture, but in the urban setting. And maybe you've already said it. And if so, you can say it again. Um, what right now is like most exciting to you about it could be sustainable agriculture, it could be architecture, something related to those, something that's just a topic that's super exciting to you and maybe emerging in your life. Maybe it keeps you up at night. It's just really on your mind right now. What's really on my mind right now is materials, how we can reduce plastic use, for example, how we can reuse water or how we can actually not limit, but create consciousness about the amount of water that we use. And it's pretty much about waste. That's, that's something that keeps me up every single night <laughs> or actually keeps, I keep thinking about it every single time I just twist the plastic bottle and just toss it in the recycle bin. Like how much, how much, <clears throat> how much really of this recycle gets, gets, I mean, of this plastic gets recycled or, how much water do we really count on nowadays? All those factors are, are something that I think it's agricultural and architecturally tied maybe because plastic could be used. I think it, plastic is, is a material that does not get decomposed quick. We all know that. So it's, it's durable. It's, it's a good material to work with. I think it's just, we have been giving it the wrong, wrong purpose, but basically Waste management has been something that takes my sleep. That one is huge. And I can imagine that there would be a lot of stability around designing homes and designing landscapes to minimize waste and reuse waste. If you could go back in time, Louise, and give yourself advice about agriculture, so advice to your younger self, what advice would that be? <laughs> Uh, I think we all want to go back in time and, I don't know, kind of talk to our, our youth self. <laughs> but um, I would say be more interested in the land. Try to understand more how our system is shaped, how to understand how our economy works, how our social inequity existing and how it, it works as well. And also think about more how how things work, how things work. Being with Crevera, I've learned how the how the land works, how the earth works. In every single area, you can take a small square footage that that small square footage is going to vary throughout the land. I'd say be more interested about these sustainable aspects, and don't think about sustainable sustainability in the most simplistic way. Sustainability goes three ways, socially, economically, and environmentally. So I'd say those are, so those are key aspects of, of growing up 
just know your surroundings and know really what's happening in reality and don't get too distracted about any other thing besides that. Absolutely. And there is much to distract people. And I think especially in this day and age. And so it is really so huge to be able to listen to the landscape. And it's not something that all of us were learning in our youth. So advice. And then on the flip side, what advice would you give to folks who are just starting their journey into agriculture? I would say patience, lots of patience. Um, I've, I've been this, I've been in this before with my family and I'd say start small, uh, experiment, experiment for sure. Make sure that your hypotheses or your procedure will take you to where you want, but take it to a minimal scale and then take it to a, a big scale if, if it's actually working. But I would say lots of patience, start small, and reach out. Reach out to, to other farmers or ranchers and be part of that community because at the end, it's, it's, it's an awesome community. I mean, you go out there to farms and ranches and you meet so many, so many nice and, and, and smart people that know how the land works. And I mean, at the end of the day, the earth is, 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 is water, grass, dirt, and, and air. So I'd say like have that heavy connection with the land and just enjoy patience, joy, and, and curiosity. <laughs> I'm so glad you said joy. Cause I feel like joy is what keeps people going and keeps people in it, connecting with each other and connecting with the land. Well, thank you for all of those answers and those little pearls of brilliance. And do you have anything else you'd care to share with folks today? I'd say, um, like I said before, joy, enjoy a lot the landscape, learn from it. It's a very interesting realm that takes you completely out of the urban setting. This urban setting is completely built for us to be focused in one task the rural setting is you you build that setting that setting is is allows you to start from zero and use that land not to exploit it in in negative ways but when you're in the land just think about like everybody is on the land basically because of this earth is is shared and we all need to eat and we need all need to figure out how we eradicate so many things that are harming the planet before it's too late. And just to be conscious about everything that, that is happening around us because the, the environment, you can design it, whoever you are is you can design it, you can build it. And it just really depends on the purpose that you give it. But yeah, I just encourage a lot of people to just think out of the box and give a new initiative to the eras that are to come. So yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you. That's a great note to end it on. Really appreciate you taking the time, Luis, and excited to see all that blossoms from all your good work. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you so much for Carrera as well for allowing me to be here today and to learn more about the landscape, which is, again, essential for everyone. So, again, thank you.
This is Sarah Wenzel Fisher, the Executive Director of the Kavira Coalition. I want to thank our interns, Luis and Levi, for joining us on this episode of Regeneration Rising. The Kavira Coalition regularly hires interns, often for summer projects and occasionally for longer-term projects. We are currently accepting proposals for the 2022 season. Intern projects are intended to increase a person's intellectual and experiential capacity around regenerative agriculture, soil health, land management, and conservation. In order to participate in an internship with the Kavira Coalition, an applicant must be enrolled in either an academic program or a nonprofit experiential education program. Kavira has a number of positions open currently. You'll hear about a few from Leah Ritchie in our new agrarian program momentarily. We are also looking for an operations director and an education and outreach director. To learn about these positions and internships, as well as to apply for either, visit kiviracoalition.org slash work with us. Thanks for listening. Looking for a job in regenerative agriculture? Kavira Coalition has spent decades building a network within the regenerative agriculture community. And we love to share job, internship, and apprenticeship opportunities with our community through our podcasts and our monthly newsletter. We have a ton of job postings in our November newsletter. So if you don't already receive our monthly newsletter, visit kaviracoalition.org to sign up. To view a copy of this month's newsletter with all the job postings, or to read any of our previous newsletters, visit kaviracoalition.org slash newagrarian slash resources. One of the jobs we're featuring this month is from HD Ranch in Thermopolis, Wyoming. They're looking for two new full-time sheep herders. HD Ranch is a large cattle and sheep operation with roughly 3,000 sheep and 3,800 cows. They're looking for someone interested in really diving into the pastoral life and dedicated to caring for a flock of sheep between 800 and 3,000 animals. Individuals who would thrive in this position will need a good dose of grit, patience, and be decently handy. Experience with livestock is preferred but not required if the individuals are committed to learning. For more info on how to apply, please contact Abby Hafey by email at hafeyabby at gmail.com. That's H-A-F-E-Y-A-B-B-Y at gmail.com. Have you considered applying to become a NAP apprentice in 2022? Applications for the 2022 season are now open. The program offers eight-month full-immersion apprenticeships on regenerative ranches and farms in New Mexico, Colorado, and Montana. Mentors in the program are dedicated stewards of the land, practice intentional regenerative methods of food or fiber production, provide excellent animal care, and are skilled and enthusiastic teachers. Visit our website, that's kaviracoalition.org slash newagrarian, for full descriptions of all the mentor operations and for more details on how to apply. Applications for the 2022 season close on December 15th. If you'd like to learn more about the program or have questions about any of the mentor sites, send us an email at newagrarian at kaviracoalition.org. Last but not least, the New Agrarian Program is also hiring for two new staff positions. Both positions are full-time. One is a Northern Plains Program Coordinator, to coordinate apprenticeships and lend support to our growing program in Montana and the surrounding region. The other position is a communications and alumni coordinator. To help us stay connected with our growing group of alumni, 
and to strengthen our communications with other apprenticeship programs, beginning agrarians, aspiring mentors, and with folks in our community, such as listeners like you. For full job descriptions, visit Kavira's jobs page. That's kaviracoalition.org slash work hyphen with hyphen us. We're hoping to fill both these positions by late January. Have a job opportunity to share yourself? Send it to newagrarian at kaviracoalition.org so we can include it in our next newsletter and podcast. Thank you for listening to Regeneration Rising, a podcast production of the Kavira Coalition. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other popular podcast platforms. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit kaviracoalition.org slash podcasts to become a sponsor or Patreon supporter. We'd like to thank Kavira staff members, Leah Ritchie, Taryn Dixon, Taylor Sanders, Leah Potterwaite, Tyler Eshelman, and Tafari Finn for their contributions to producing this podcast. This episode was edited and engineered by Caleb Wenzel Fisher. Wanderlust, our theme music, was made by Scott Buckley. And we're grateful to our guests for taking the time to talk with us about their experiences. Thank you for listening. <laughs>